Good morning, church. Let me just say a word of prayer before I begin. Father God, as I stand before you this morning, you know my heart and you know how unworthy I am to be ministering from your word. But Lord, I depend on your spirit to place his words on my lips. And may every thought that I verbalize be a thought placed in my heart by you, Lord. May I glorify you and your word through my words. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, it's customary to say that it's a joy and a privilege to be standing here and administering the word of God to you, but not so for me, for the simple reason, this first verse. <laughs> so you know my predicament. So uh, as a matter of fact, I have always shied away from preaching in church or in Bible studies, although I have been invited quite a few times. And the reasons have been twofold. First, I believe I don't have a temperament for public speaking. And I think it's not everyone's cup of tea. And second, I don't think I'm worthy, even by my own standards, to expound God's word to an audience, especially when there are pastors sitting in the audience. So how much more unworthy I am by God's holy and perfect standards? Nevertheless, some months ago, I reluctantly agreed to share a message in this congregation on the life of Abraham. And I did it after much cajoling. While preparing for that message, I acquired a lot of clarity on certain facts of Abraham's life. Things that I had never observed before, in spite of the fact that I had read that portion of scripture multiple times. So it spoke to me in a way it had never spoken before. That was a delightful reward for me. Hence, when I was asked to share a message again, and this time from James chapter 3, I was a little less reluctant on account of my earlier experience. I thought it would be a good chance to get an insight into the book of James. However, this first verse was devastating for me. <laughs> I realize I have unwittingly become a candidate for stricter judgment. And James doesn't mince his words on this. So let's see why James puts teachers in a special category. Some of the reasons are that teachers of the Bible have an enduring influence on their audience. So they need to be very careful about what they teach. They also have an additional responsibility for correct interpretation of the word of God. And the word of God sometimes needs a lot of interpretation. It cannot be taken at face value. And, you know, it can happen when their own understanding is faulty or it's not deep enough. Or even if they're teaching on their own strength, on the strength of their intellect, rather than being led by the spirit of God. The other reason is that teachers who are professional teachers 
of the Bible have the potential to misuse their position for their personal agenda. Proponents of prosperity gospel is one such example. And some teachers can even twist theology to be accommodative or to garner a large following and to be popular amongst their following. Those are risks for teachers. Bible teachers need to be mindful about personal holiness because they are under a lot of scrutiny. Not only by those who are sitting in the pews, but also by God. Because they will be judged more strictly. Teachers are expected to practice what they teach. And that can be a huge, huge challenge. Now, fortunately for teachers, James acknowledges human weakness. And he goes on to say in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. In fact, he includes himself by saying, we all. So if James can stumble, we can stumble too. However, we ought to be mindful of one fact, that physically we stumble only when we are moving. We can't stumble if we are just stationary. And the same is true for our stumbling in our spiritual life. We have to be moving in our spiritual life. We have to be at least trying to grow in our holiness. If you are not even trying, there is no risk of stumbling. So while everyone must aspire for personal holiness, it's imperative for teachers of God's word. And we know that this is through an active prayer life. It is by applying the word of God in our own lives. It's by inviting the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And this fact is true for everyone, not just teachers. It applies, unfortunately, to each one of us. One of the things is that this should not desist anyone from teaching because we are expected to teach. And Jesus himself asked his disciples in that very famous verse, which we call the Great Commission. He asked them to go and make disciples of all nations and teach them. If you were to follow that verse, it's very clear over there. So after cautioning teachers, James deals with the matter regarding our tongue. And this definitely concerns each one of us. This topic is so important that it's mentioned in all five chapters in the book of James. The book has five chapters and every chapter he touches about this matter. And there is no need for interpretation. It's written very directly. He says in chapter 1 that we should be slow to speak. And in chapter 1 itself he says that those who consider themselves religious should keep a tight rein on their tongues. In chapter 2 he says speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law. In chapter 3, we will just come to it. Today's message is in chapter 3. So let's go to chapter 4. In chapter 4, he says, do not slander one another. In chapter 5, this is the clincher. He says, do not swear, nor by heaven or by earth. Otherwise, you will be condemned. 
I mean, it cannot be more serious than that. Now, coming back to chapter 3, we find that it mostly deals with our speech. Except for the last five verses, the entire chapter is by and large focused on our speech. And we'll quickly run through the verses. We have all the verses here, so as I keep moving forward, we'll progress verse by verse. You can follow it here on the screen if you like. In verse 2, he says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. What he's saying, in effect, is that we are able to achieve perfection in our speech. If we could do that, we would also be able to achieve perfection in our thinking, in our behavior and in our hearts, thereby implying that controlling our speech is the greater challenge. In that sense, our speech is an indicator of personal holiness. He then goes on to highlight two aspects of our speech, the effect our speech has on us and the effect of our speech on others. In verses 3 and 4, he gives a graphic illustration of how horses are controlled by small bits in their mouth or how large ships are steered by a small rudder. Out of curiosity, I just googled for it and I found that the size of a rudder in a ship is 170th of the cross-section of the ship underwater. So it is such a tiny thing. And you can see these ocean liners, how huge they are. And they are being moved around, they are being given direction by a very tiny member of the structure. In verse 6, James says that the tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire. So, James is really at it. He is giving us the facts of life as they are. What he is saying is that our tongue has the power to control us and our destiny. And frankly speaking, I had never looked at it like that when I was going through this in this sermon preparation. There is a reference in Proverbs 13, verse 3, that says, Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. And if we believe in the word of God, we have to believe in every word of the word of God. Now, unfortunately, our tongue has the tendency to go beyond its brief. It just does what, it, what we don't intend it to do. It slips out of control and says what we don't mean to. And we often you know, end up saying, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Or it was a slip of tongue. None of our organs seem to be as slippery as our tongue. At some point in our lives, we may even have been asked to mind our tongue. Our tongue seems to have a will of its own and needs supervision. We shape ourselves by what we say. This is the effect our tongue has on us. What about the effect of our tongue on others? We all know that we can build others or hurt them or we can comfort them or we can instigate, encourage, insult, find fault with them and much more with our tongue. And we do that. We do that often enough. On one hand, our tongue can be positive, it can be constructive, it can be appreciative, 
it can be generous with compliments and on the other hand it can be cynical it can be demeaning insulting and hurtful it depends on how we use it our tongue can be used as a weapon too and i think many of us may have used it as a weapon at some point in our lives or the other and it can be a pretty dangerous weapon because it can be offensive from a distance it is said that the tongue is the only tool that gets sharper with use so we have to be careful in its use as parents those of us who have parented children we know that our tongue can have a massive impact on their personality and it's an enduring impact on their personality many a times we have regretted having used a wrong choice of words or maybe a wrong tone or tenor when speaking to our children and once spoken it's almost impossible to mend that damage so the question is how do we control our tongue first and foremost we can ask god to help us and i don't know about you but it's not really been an item in my prayer list i haven't been praying to god to help me use my tongue the way he would want me to david knew the value of a restrained tongue and in psalms 141 he says he's praying and he says set a guard over my mouth o lord keep a watch over the door of my lips he was so clear about it the second way we can control our tongue is by praying for a change in our hearts we must ask god to speak into our hearts when we study his word often times our study of god's word is a matter of routine or it's it's a tradition in some homes or it's even to pursue an intellectual discovery of the bible but we really should ask god to speak into our hearts and this will impact the way we speak to others in matthew chapter 12 jesus told the pharisees quite clearly and he is reprimanding them he says you brood of vipers how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth mouth speaks what the heart is full of the third thing is that we should avoid unwholesome language i feel a large portion of what we speak in a day is unnecessary and some of it can even be unwholesome Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So it's very clear we have to be mindful of that. Simply avoiding unnecessary conversation can save save us from the peril of unbridled speech. And in today's context it includes WhatsApp messaging, text messaging and social media posts and all of that. we are really quick some of us me included we are quick with our keypads and sometimes we regret you know yesterday morning there was a post on the 
DBF men's group on the WhatsApp group. And it was somebody had posted an excerpt from the swearing in ceremony of the Nagaland government, which has just been formed after elections there. And I happened to be up in the morning and I saw it at 5.30. Now, before that, someone else from another group that I'm part of had also posted and there was some banter that it was a fake. So without verifying it myself, and imagine it's 5.30, I have just got up, I have rolled over, I'm looking at my messages, and I see this. So without verifying it, I just mindlessly posted on the men's group, it's a fake video. <laughs> and this is 5.40, and I later regretted. In a few minutes later only, I thought, what have I done? I shouldn't have said that. So I decided to delete it. You will be surprised. I can vouch that the men in our congregation are early risers. <laughs> in a few minutes, everyone has read it. Just see, I mean, this is what happened. And uh, needless to say, I was feeling so foolish with myself, and I could have avoided it if only I had fo followed Paul's advice to be slow to speak. So there's so much about speech in the Bible, you know, you can actually lay a whole sermon just by reading out the verses back to back. It'll be 30 minutes of sermon. And uh, I just want to sum up this part by quoting from Matthew 12, verse 36, where Jesus says that, Everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. So this kind of sums up the whole thing. Now, uh, in the next few verses from verse 9 to 12, if you can just see here, and I'll read it for you. Uh, James is just pointing out the inconsistency of our tongue. He says that with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape vine? bear figs, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So, how can we praise God and then with the same tongue curse a man who has been made in God's own image? And I really struggled with this. Uh, when we leave church on Sunday mornings, I think all of us encounter that vendor who is vending dry fruit he has been mentioned in the, one of the sermons earlier. And boy, he is persistent. I don't know if he is persistent with me only or with all of you. <laughs> and I have a hard time restraining from ticking off the vendor. He really tests my patience. Now, so far James has spoken about how we must speak. 
in the next five verses, which are the last five verses of this chapter, he tells us about how we must live. So let's quickly go through them. I'll just read for your benefit. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility and that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So what James is saying is that if you are wise and understanding, it will show up as humility in our day-to-day -day living. Basically, wisdom from heaven will be visible by its fruit. On the other hand, earthly wisdom, he says, is self-seeking and manifests itself through envy and boasting. People with earthly wisdom are clever people in their own eyes. And they seem to be achieving a lot of success as defined by worldly standards. But God doesn't really care for this success. Talking about bitter envy and jealousy that is given in those verses that comes from earthly wisdom, how is envy different from jealousy? Envy is coveting what someone else has while jealousy is being bitter about what someone else has. And a new term that kind of encompasses these two terms is called peer pressure. A year ago, we wanted to buy a car, a new car, because uh, the one that we had had reached 15 years, we had to phase it out. There was huge peer pressure upon us to buy an SUV. Because everyone is buying an SUV. There are SUVs parked in my society. All my friends are buying SUVs. Even our relatives are buying SUVs. And when we were consulting our children, they also said, Dad, you have to buy an SUV. <laughs> now, that put a lot of pressure on us. But do we need an SUV? Definitely not. So let's pause and ponder what kind of wisdom defines us. We have to introspect, am I peace-loving, am I considerate, submissive, am I full of mercy, am I displaying good fruit? If so, I can be confident that I am driven by wisdom from above. Or am I being driven by envy and jealousy, succumbing to peer pressure? If yes, I am defined by earthly wisdom. James chapter 2 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask for it. So there is hope for all of us. It's so simple. Just ask God for wisdom. Because he says that those who ask, God gives generously to all without finding fault. It will just be given to you. It's a matter as simple as that. So to sum up, 
what we have learned in James chapter 3 is number one, the Bible teaches, Bible teachers need to be holier than others, unfortunately. And number two, that there are serious perils with careless speech and an untamed tongue, which applies to everyone. And number three, we need to discern between wisdom from heaven and earthly wisdom. So, this is all I have for you. And as we close, let's ask God to help us bind these truths to our hearts and ask the Spirit to help us put them into practice. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have spoken to us this morning. But Lord, we are quite given to leaving it all behind in the sanctuary as we step out. And so, Father, I pray in right earnest that you would bind all these truths that we have learned into our hearts, that they would be part of us, and that your spirit would help us to follow these truths, to make them our own, to make them the very part of our fabric. You know, Father, that we can't do it on our own strength. We need you to help us. And we have the confidence that you would because we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.